Hey there, Pastor Mark Jordan here from Hope Church. Thank you for stopping by and welcome to our online ministry. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can stay up to date on all the content that's released. And while you're online, visit us at our webpage at placeofhope.org. Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for Him. And we hope that this message today is helpful and inspiring for you as you continue to take your next step on your faith journey. Once again, thanks for visiting us and make sure to check us out at placeofhope.org. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to worship at Hope Church. If we have not yet met, my name is Mark. I am the pastor here, and I am delighted to see each and every one of you. And if you're worshiping with us online, whether live right now or later on throughout the week, we want you to know that you are most welcome here in this place, and we are glad that you chose to give uh, even a few minutes of your time to God and the work of this church. We are on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and to fuel their love for him, and so thank you for being a part of that today. This might be a good time if you have your Hope Church Plus app handy to go ahead and pull it out. That way you can use the follow-along notes. We do have them inserted inside of our info guides. So if you'd rather use the paper and pencil pen method, that is perfectly uh, fine too. But I just, However it is that we can help you in your ongoing walk with the Lord or your Jesus journey, uh, I would encourage you to take advantage of these tools and that way we can uh, just help continue going together. Now, of course, this is September 11th, Patriots Day, as it's also known. Uh, I'm sure all of us remember where we were. Well, those of us who are old enough to remember, or, you know, we're alive even still, uh, where we were 21 years ago. Uh, I was on my Tony Little Gazelle glider. <laughs> True story. Uh, in our house in Marietta, um, my father had been deceased not even a full month yet, and we had found out about two weeks before that that Tiffany was expecting Ethan. And so when I think about this, this was one of those first major events that took place after I lost my father and after I learned I was becoming a father. And I can remember feeling such confusion and such uncertainty, as I'm sure so many, so many did. That night, I was the associate pastor at St. Andrew UMC in Marietta. That night, we opened up the church and the place was packed. And I remember that next Sunday morning, and it happened for a few weeks after that, people were just coming in droves to experience some sense of hope, some way to try to make sense out of the senseless, to deal with the evil that we felt, the fear that was the result of it. And, of course, we can see how we've done 21 years later. We're more divided than ever, and I just, uh, it, it grieves my soul. And, but I do go back to those moments when I was a young pastor trying to learn how to navigate the world without my daddy while I was trying to learn how to be a daddy. And so, folks, I, I hope that uh, where I'm going with this becomes clear. It's the anchoring that I found and I felt and I experienced came when I sought the peace of Christ, when I sought the love of Jesus and how the things that we're talking about in this upside-down message series about developing a biblical Christian worldview, how it came to be and how it came to pass. Uh, one last little comment I'll make about that night. I was out walking um, our little cocker spaniel, and I remember looking up into the sky and seeing no airplanes and hearing no noise, really, to speak of. It was one of the eeriest moments. But I looked up into the sky, looked up into heaven, and I prayed for God to bring peace soul, and I prayed for the work of those who are going to be bringing peace into the world in the various ways that that 
comes. Now, that is a different beatitude. We'll talk about that uh, in a little while. But as I think about where we are, how we come to this point this morning on September 11th, it is imperative that we all remember that we have a God who is with us in the good days and the bad days. Amen? We have a God who is with us when we're on top of the world, and we have a God who is with us in those times when we feel like the world is against us. We have a God who is with us always, a God who cries when we cry, who weeps when we weep, who celebrates when we celebrate, and who cheers when we cheer. This is the type of relationship that we have with God, and it speaks to the pureness of his heart, which is our beatitude for today. But before we get there, let's look back at how we got to this point so far. Last week, we talked about blessed are the merciful. And the idea that we get for mercy, because it's not a direct translation from the, the biblical languages into the Greek, it's that word hesed, which means to get in someone else's skin. And we talked about the idea of mercy also being with empathy, trying to help us to understand how we are called to live as part of God's creation and as part of God's family, his forever family. And the thing that runs in direct contradiction to the way that we all too often think about and we sense mercy is that mercy is not weakness. In fact, mercy displays strength. And we see this because God put on skin in Jesus to win us to him. And that is the strength that God possesses and provides for us. So mercy isn't about weakness. It's about strength. And it's not in the words of the karate kid. You know, strike fast, strike hard, no mercy. It's about allowing the power of love and restraint to get inside our own skin. As we recognize that's exactly what God did for us in Jesus. And so today, as we start thinking about our next beatitude, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God, we have to think first, before we get there, about our motivations in life. What motivates you? I put four things on the screen this morning that are typical motivating factors for most people. We are motivated by our expectations, right? People expect us to go places, do things, be where you know, be somewhere. And so we are motivated to do that based on other people's expectations. We also can be motivated by fear. If you do not do this, then I tell you what, that was probably one of my biggest motivating factors in school was if I didn't do well on an exam, I would fail and I wouldn't be who I knew that I was called to be. Guilt also motivates us at times, doesn't it? When was the last time you were motivated by guilt? It comes in different ways, shapes, and forms, but guilt can motivate us, get us to do things that we might not have otherwise done. But perhaps my favorite motivation is reward, right? Yeah, rewards. Think about training our dog and how hard it was for us to get that, you know, 100-pound golden retriever so full of energy, uh, how to get that channeled. And, you know, that dog loved to eat. And then it was an amazingly extraordinary thing when we were able to leverage her desire to please us with her desire to be obedient and how we could even do something like put one of her favorite treats on her paw and tell her to wait until it was okay for her to eat it. 
And then she knew, the other side of that, right, was that the reward had to come. She knew that if she was patient, that reward would be there. And there are ways that you are able to be motivated by reward. Sometimes it's finances. Sometimes it's food. Sometimes it's friendships. It could be whatever, right? We can be motivated in so many different ways for rewards. Tiffany knows exactly how to motivate me. You know, she'll be able to say, you know, hey, if this, then this, right? And so it's like, okay, I am motivated. But you put all these together... And perhaps you can see the way that you are motivated by expectations of other people, fear of the consequences of not following through, the guilt that comes as a result of that, but also the reward that we can feel when we've done what we know we have to do. Now, one of the things that's interesting about the way that the scripture looks at all of this is the scripture wants us to do what we are called to do with the right motives. How often have you been challenged to do the right thing, but perhaps with the wrong motive? And that's where we see the reality of how expectations, fear, guilt, or even rewards can cause us to do the right thing, maybe with the wrong motivation. Does that challenge you? It challenges me. Because the Bible wants us to have this purity of heart that says, I want to do the right thing because I know it's the right thing. I want to do the right thing because it's what God has called and challenged me to do. Lord, help reveal to me the weakness of my own motivations so that I may do the right thing in spite of the expectations that I feel from other people. In spite of the fear that I might feel if I don't follow through in spite of the guilt that would overwhelm me or in spite of the reward that otherwise might motivate me. Help me to do the right thing, not because of a way that we have our motivations shaped, but because it is the right thing. And this gets directly into our beatitude. I've teased it already, but here we go. It's on the screen. Matthew chapter five, verse eight. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Blessed are you. Remember, it is a statement of utmost bliss. So blessed are you when you are able to do the right thing for the right reason with the right motivation. Now, undoubtedly, there have been times where you did the right thing, perhaps without the purity of heart or the purity of intention, and you still experienced some of the reward, right? Because there are all of those times we can look at. When it comes to work or school or even just doing life with people. When we can recognize that we do the right thing perhaps with a less than perfect motivation. But we still experience the rewards that come as a result of it. And so what Jesus is challenging his, his listeners and his followers to do. Is to seek to find that purity of heart. So that we are doing the right thing for the right reason with the right motivation. Is this easy. No, it's not. In fact, this might become one of the more challenging beatitudes. They've all been challenging, right? But this may be one of the most challenging ones because it challenges us to look into our motivation. When we are inclined to do things because we know other people expect us to, we're afraid of what will happen if we don't, the guilt that we're going to feel, or even the reward that might exist for it. We are at times afraid to do the right thing for the right reason with the right motives because we have to challenge those pieces and parts of us that so distinctly want to do the right thing 
but for a personal reason. <gasps> and there it is, isn't it? That's how we keep coming back to this upside down series or this upside down series. It's our worldview all too often is about putting ourselves at the center, putting ourselves at the heart of things and expecting the world to revolve around us, expecting our community to revolve around us, expecting our church to revolve around us, our work or our school, or dare I say, even the creator of the universe to revolve around us. Jesus said that you will find a statement, you will find a condition of utmost bliss when you recognize that you are to do the right thing with the right motives and with the right reason. This is a challenge. Let's look at our beatitude from the message this morning. Same verse, different translation. It says, you are blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. Have you ever heard that statement that says sometimes the longest distance is the 18 inches between your head and your heart? This is exactly what it's talking about. Knowing the right thing to do, feeling the motivation to do the right thing, and then actually allowing that motivation to become the motor, the modus into which you do it. And so what we see Jesus saying here as we read it in the paraphrase from the message version is that we experience that utmost bliss when our head and our heart, those 18 inches, are put right, our inside world. And that is what enables us to see God in the outside world. When we seek to do the right thing for the right reason, with the right motivation, even when it's the hard thing, we can experience a blessing that is beyond measure. I hope that if you've been in a church life for any length of time, you've experienced that miraculous, tangible takeaway when you get these things aligned. When you do the right thing for the right reason, with the right motivation, when you get those things aligned. Maybe it's happened in serving during Hands of Hope. Or vacation Bible school. Maybe it's something that you see so simply when you open the door for someone or hand them an info guide or, or have a cup of coffee. It can be so simple yet so spiritual when we allow these alignments to take place in our life. To get our inside world and our outside world perfectly in balance with the hope that God has for us, the faith that he wants us to, to live and approach even the horrible times like September 11th anniversaries and to allow love to become the motivating factor in that which we do. And so we're looking today to try to get our inside world and our outside world aligned, to find our motivations purified, to do the right thing for the right reason with the right motives. And I, there are three ways that I want us to look at this concept today. When we think about finding purity of heart, right? The first thing that we experience is that we are washed clean. When Jesus talks about coming to him with a purity of heart, there is an automatic preconceived notion here that we probably are going to come maybe for the right reason, but with the wrong motives or to do the right thing, but with the, the wrong reason, right? Jesus is just going ahead and su su suggesting to us that he knows there are times that we challenge 
or we feel challenged to do the right thing for the right reason with the right motive. Does this help give you any relief at all? Jesus says, come and allow me to wash you clean. Isaiah chapter 118, it says, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. And then in 1 John 1.17, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Folks, thinking about blood and stains and stain removers, this is one of those natural contradictions. Oops, my blood stains. Jesus' blood saves. What we see from the scripture is it is the blood of Christ that washes over us, that removes the stain of sin from our lives. This goes back to creation. When Adam and Eve fell in the garden and they realized that they were naked, that's, you know, my southern translation of the biblical term, they realized they were naked, and then God made clothes for them out of animal skins. Blood was shed in the very beginning to cover the first sin. And so when Jesus died, it was the blood that was shed sacrificially to cover all of our sins for all time. It's no longer something we have to go to the temple and, and bring our offering. It is Christ who was the offering given for us. And so even though your blood may stain if it gets on you, it's the blood of Christ that saves. The next way to look at this idea of purifying our motives comes down to being free from weeds. Free from weeds. Of course, this is talking about a garden. One of my very favorite parables, it's actually quite a simple one, but it comes from Matthew chapter 13. It talks about uh, the wheat and the weeds. I remember going to a very, very fundamentalist church one time. We were reading through the, uh, the King James Version, and the pastor gave one of those blood-red sermons. And I mean, talking about his face, right? It's like he didn't take a breath for the entire time. And he's talking about the wheat and the tares, the wheat and the tares. And the idea is, is that when we have our gardens and we are allowing the wheat to grow up, God also permits the weeds to grow in the meantime for a couple reasons. One is to give time for those weeds in our lives to become rooted out and to be redeemed. But for those who opt or choose not to, God doesn't want to risk even a single healthy grain of wheat and mistake it for a weed. Now, the reason this parable is so interesting is because there are certain points in time in the development of the wheat and the tear where they are indiscernible, practically. I mean, I'm sure a very astute horticulturist would know the difference. But for just an ordinary person, we would not be able to tell the difference between that which is a wheat and that which is a weed. And all of a sudden, perhaps, you have reality flooding into your spirit, right? That we gather in church, some of us are wheat, some of us are weeds, some of us are a little bit of both, undiscernible. Do we check people's perfection card at the door before we allow them in? No, and I'm glad we don't because they would never be open. The reality is, is that in those times when it feels and we fear as though it's indiscernible, God knows. And the thing that God wants to offer us, thanks to the blood of Jesus, is transformation in our life. Don't forget what the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that in Christ, we are a new creation. You are a new creation. You can go from being a weed to wheat right now. All you have to do is allow the blood of Jesus to wash it clean. I'm getting my Jesus jig going. It excites me. It excites me. When you realize that God can take those weeds in your life and turn that into productive fruit, 
it helps to align your motivations so that when you see the world, you're able to do the right thing for the right reason and with the right motivation because you know what God has done for you. And you want others to experience that joy that comes from God's mercy. See, last week's message and this week's message work together hand in glove. And so the third point that we see from this is that it's pure and undiluted. Pure and undiluted. Pop quiz, 10,000 bucks. What was Jesus' first miracle in his public ministry? Water to wine, exactly. Right? And the host is like, oh my goodness. You saved the best for last. See, the reason being is it was typical to dilute things like wine so it would go a little farther. And at first, it may be like, okay, this is all right. But on and on and on, you can experience the result of knowing what or when something has been diluted. God's grace does not get diluted. It's poured out in your life or my life. Isn't that good news? That there is enough grace for all of our cups to runneth over without being diluted. Without being diluted. Can you think of a time when you looked at something that occurred in your life and realized that there was some diluting taking place? I'll tell you a time that was obvious for us. And the consequences of it was... We moved into our house down in Coweta County in Newnan, and we fell in love with that house. It was the right color green, had the right accent colors. I mean, we just loved it. And then after about, I don't know, how long was the warranty, Tiffany? About a year? After about 366 days, we looked and we realized that the paint was fading. And not in a way that made it look like charming. It made it look awful. And so we, we learned eventually, because we had some friends on the inside, that the builder was getting desperate as the economy was collapsing, because this was like right when the bubble was bursting, and was trying to do things to make his building supplies go just a little bit farther, like diluting the paint. And it made it long enough to get through the initial warranty phase, but then as soon as it seemed like that warranty phase was over, the results of diluting the paint were obvious. And so we had to hire another house painter who'd been doing other work in the neighborhood. And he came and he said, I can make your house look great for you for, it was an absurd amount of money. I mean, like low. Oh, this is great. We've seen he's been doing work in other places. And so we turned him loose and he did a really good job. And other neighbors began to see and notice what a good job this young man was doing painting their houses. And we were giving him all the, the praise that we could and the referrals and the recommendations. And then guess what happened shortly thereafter? The paint began to fade. And not in a way that was charming, but in a way that looked awful. And now it wasn't just us who had been snookered. We had participated in the snookering of other neighbors and residents. And this kid skipped town. And we are all out in the neighborhood, as neighbors are wont to do, looking at our homes that twice had been painted with diluted paint. And it wasn't now just that the houses looked bad. But we felt bad. Because we thought we had a good experience and we gave a recommendation to someone else. And the next thing you know, there's this chain that takes place because it wasn't pure or diluted. 
Folks, the way that the world is working right now is it wants to try to dilute your convictions and your faith and your understanding of what is right and what is wrong and what is real and what is of God. And just a little bit of diluting in that can cause us to be deluded and to find ourselves delusional to such a way that we don't even know which way is up anymore, which way is right, which is good. And so we've got to come back to some sort of an anchoring person. You're not going to find it on a website or a television station or even a podcast. You're only going to find it in the word of God. It is in the word of God where we see that we are washed clean by the blood of Jesus and there are even points and times in our life when the gardens of our soul can be weed infested. But it is that love of God that comes in and says, I can transform the worst weeds in your life into productive fruit. So that others may come to know that God is real and God loves us and has a plan and a purpose for our lives. And when we turn our life over to him, we find that love and that grace of God pure and undiluted, which comes in our heart and our mind and our soul and gives us the strength to face the future unafraid, regardless of what happens in the world. We need to find that purity of heart because that's where we see God. The corruption in the culture wants you to look at the violence, to look at the crime, to look at the addiction, to look at the uncertainty, to look at the chaos. The scripture tells us to remember that God is not a God of chaos, but a God of order. And he wants us to order our lives around his word. So this speaks directly to the heart and the mind of a person. It is to find purity of intention and motive. We should have that for the screen. You should see it in your notes. It speaks to the heart and mind of a person to develop a purity of intention and motive. This is a foundational aspect of our Wesleyan understanding of theology. For those who are able to partake in our What We Believe course two Sundays ago, we talked about this at great length, about how John Wesley, who was the founder of the Methodist movement, had this theological perspective that we actually can be perfected in love. And it comes back to purity of intention and motive. Our next slide is going to help us to break down this idea of John Wesley and Christian perfection in a way that hopefully it becomes a little bit more understandable for you. Because the first thing that we have to come to grips with is that when we're talking about Christian perfection, it is not being free of errors or mistakes. It comes back to having a pure motive and intention. Remember, we talk about motive, right? It's doing the right thing for the right reason with the right motives. And so even when we do the right thing with the right reason and with the right motives, there are times that we still might, as I like to say, step on someone else's toes, right? There are times that even when we're doing the right thing with the right motives and the right intention, that we still 
seem to get it wrong. And sometimes, dare I say, most of the time, doing the right thing is a hard thing, isn't it? We had something we had to do not too long ago here at the church. It was hard. And there were some people really, really angry with me from the outside. They were really, really angry with me. Where um, I think probably even today, it's like, well, squish the head, right? Squish the head. Sometimes doing the right thing is hard. But if we allow what the next point, bullet point on this slide is, to be pure in our motives and in our intentions, those are the areas where we can see God, right? Because even Jesus knew that doing the right thing was a hard thing. It cost him his life. It cost him his blood. But he knew the right thing was a hard thing. And he did it anyway. Jesus' entire mission was about reconciling us with God and each other. Which is the third point that you'll see on the screen. Is that even when we do the right things with the right motives and the right intention, and it still creates conflict, which invariably it's going to do, right? If we're being honest with ourselves, it points back to this idea of reconciliation with God and with others, which is at the heart of our Christian outreach mission and ministry is to go out into the world where there are weeds abounding and say there is hope for you in your life. Even if there are weeds in your soul garden right now, you can allow the love of God to wash over you from the same blood of Christ that was spilled on the cross to transform those weeds into productive fruit and to purify your life and your soul your motives, your actions, your intentions, to purify it all so that you see God. And friends, this is where it gets really exciting. That when we get all of this aligned together, it's not just that we see God, we also reflect God. People can come to see the goodness of God through our actions when our motives and our intentions and our Actions are in line, purified in heart, mind, and soul. I hope that gets you excited that you can experience the perfection of living a life with Jesus. Again, it's not about not making mistakes. I'm sorry, I used the double negative right there. I mean, it's proof right there. It's not about that. It's about allowing your actions and your intentions and your motivations to be aligned. And even when you make a mistake, which we are invariably going to do, to trust the love and the grace of God to come and bring about that hope of reconciliation. That can restore relationships. It can renew our very lives. It enables us to see God and even enables other people to see God by us. That might seem utterly incredible. But Jesus would not ask us to do something if it wasn't possible. The next string, Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, Jesus said, You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus is the only perfect human who has ever lived and walked to this earth. And he tells you and me to be perfect. Does that mean... That we're never going to make a mistake? No, we just talked about this. What it does mean is that we seek to get our actions, our intentions, and our motivations in line with God's plan for our lives. To acknowledge those times when we've done the right thing for the wrong reason. 
or we've allowed our motivations to come back to things like expectations and fear and guilt and even reward, a self-centered approach to living, and say, God, I want to put you at the heart. I'll put you at the center of this. Help me get it right. You told me to be perfect, and you wouldn't ask me to do something that wasn't possible. But it's only possible when we allow our motives and our intentions and our actions to get in line with God's plan for us. So this is really the second part of a two-part mini-series inside this broader series that deals last week with blessed are the merciful because these have to work hand in hand. It takes the strength of being merciful and allowing ourselves to be conduits of mercy as well, channels of mercy as well, so that we can help other people not just see God, but see God through us. And so we have these three takeaways that I want you to, to write down, jot them down, put them in your app or whatever, but allow these two weeks to come and work together. Look for ways to lift up others, to get your motives and your actions and your intentions aligned. You want to lift up others into the presence of God. Don't misplace kindness. Remember last week I talked about fixing a meal for someone. It was my favorite meal, but they couldn't eat dairy or grain, and it was like, that one was shot. Don't misplace kindness. But it's also about getting in another person's skin because this is precisely what God did for you and me in Jesus Christ. To get in someone's skin and to recognize that there are times, even when we align our intentions and our motivations and our actions, that it may not quite work out for us the way that we expect, but we have to trust and hope that the good Lord's way will be made perfect through it. He has this uncanny ability to do it. So make yourself available. No one's asked me about these little spots on my hand here. It's generally with a kitten. It's probably a good idea not to ask why I have marks on my hand because I always have marks on my hand. But the other night, Tiffany and I were taking a walk through our neighborhood and there's this neighbor that we've never seen outside. Beautiful home, beautiful house. And this person walked outside with their two dogs and they were, well, just being rambunctious and they acted like they wanted to see us. And so I love dogs. I was, oh, what's your dog's name? What kind of dog is it? And the dog was a mix of a pit bull and a Labrador retriever. So, oh, that's great. That's great. We're talking to him. And the dog's just like on its leash. Just like, uh. And I remember some of the lessons that I learned from my dad in the Boy Scouts. If you want to go pet a dog, the first thing to do is, is you know, don't rush up on them and, and, and hold your hand in a fist uh, and give the dog an opportunity to, uh, to sniff you uh, so that you know it's not a threat. As soon as I did that, I must have turned into a pork chop like you see on the Warner Brothers cartoons because that dog grabbed onto my hand and would not let go. And I, was like, and I, I probably sounded like Forrest Gump running through the, the jungle of Vietnam. Something bit me. And it's like, it bit me. And anyway, and, and the owner was just all of a sudden mortified. She's like, this is the sweetest dog. And, and, I, and I guess you just caused it to feel, to feel threatened. I mean, even though I was like, you know, nice puppy. It still reached up and bit me. See, these are examples of how, you know, you try to do the right thing, you have the right motives, right intentions, and, and still things can come back and, and bite you. I am sure that the owner was terrified I was going to call somebody or try to make a claim. The rest of our walk home, I, I nursed, not literally nursed my hand, but I'm sitting there rubbing it and holding it. I probably showed it to Tiffany. I said, look, he bit me. He bit me. 
And it's interesting how now this neighbor and I have this little thing between us. I don't have any hard feelings. I wish my hand didn't hurt. But there are times when we do the right thing, what we believe is the right thing, and it makes a mess of stuff. The purity of intention comes in and saying, you know, look, my heart is to get it right with you and for you. I'm not mad at your dog. I'm not mad at you. Let's figure out how we can move forward together to express mercy, to show purity of heart and intention. That doesn't mean we're always going to get it right. But what it does mean is when we get it wrong, we seek to make it right. And so I want you, as we close this morning, to think about those areas and those places in your life where you know the right thing to do and you're called to do the right thing with the right motive and the right intention. And that can be hard. And even in those times when you have your motives and your intentions and your actions aligned perfectly, even when things don't line up like you expected them to, when you have to carry around a a wound or two, to know that those are the moments that you can show the purity of your heart, even in your woundedness, to say, I want us to be together. I want to experience this unity that comes from doing life together. Jesus said, blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. May they see the God in you when you seek to get it right, even in those times when you get it wrong, to make it right. Not make it about yourself, but about pointing people to Jesus. Will you pray with me as the band makes their way back up to the stage? Almighty God, I thank you for today and I thank you for how we are called to look at these concepts of mercy and love together and the reality that we so frequently can do the right thing but with the wrong motive. We do the the right thing the wrong way because of expectations and fear and guilt or even self-centered personal rewards. Forgive us for that. Help us to move from that into experiencing a purity of heart that says, Almighty God, here I am. Use me. And even in those times when I get it wrong, for me to aim to get it right by confessing my shortcomings, offering or accepting forgiveness, or both when it's appropriate, and seeking to continue to live the way that you would have us to live. It's true, Lord, that doing the right thing at times, it bites us. It hurts. May we not become calloused from that. But may we find even more reason or cause to do the right thing. To give you the life and the love and the mercy that we express to others because of that which you've given to us. So hold us close this morning, Lord, as we prepare to to close out this service of worship. Help us to come to grips with where we get our actions and our motives and our intentions amiss bring them back together again binding them and sealing them in your love so that that becomes the motivation the intention the action into which we live from this point forward this in the holy helping healing name of jesus amen and amen 
Thank you again for joining us today. We are glad that you stopped by. Again, we want to encourage you to visit us online at placeofhope.org. If you're in the Paulding County area there, you can get service times, directions, and information about all of our awesome activities for children, for students, and for adults. Again, Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for Him, and we hope to provide you the heart fuel you need to follow Jesus. Thanks again.